0: Optophobia, the fear of opening one's eyes. This podcast is dedicated to encouraging you, our listeners, to move beyond that fear, to solve riddles they don't want us to unriddle, to investigate supposedly ironclad truths, to unearth evidence buried for so long they believed it would stay buried. Season 4. It's likely you've never heard of the most important movie of 1989. That's because in the end, Relentless was just another forgotten 1980s slasher film. But director William Lustig's original plan could have changed cinematic history forever. Lustig flavored his movie with enough subliminal messaging to spark mass murder by hundreds of wannabe serial killers sitting in the nation's theaters that summer? Why didn't it work? And why is Lustig still taking lunch meetings in Hollywood rather than rotting in jail? This season on Optophobia, we'll track down the distortions, the assumptions, the omissions. Are you bored by the lies? Open your eyes. Hi, everybody. I'm your host, Herb Tarlick. This season, we're discussing the amazing backstory about the 1989 serial killer movie Relentless. If you're new to Optophobia or want to learn a bit more about the context behind this season, check out episode one from last week. Regular listeners will recognize our guest today from season one and his theory about how the Cagney station towers controlled the world's electronics. Including toasters. But before we talk to Dan again, I want to welcome my co host for this week, Jeffrey Dahlmer.
1: Thanks for hitting the L.
0: Yeah, I'm going to try to keep doing that as hard as I can. Yeah. How's your week been?
1: I spent the week in kind of emotional recovery. I asked a a woman out at uh, Hollywood Video because she came in and asked for an actual movie instead of trying to see the movies in the back. And I thought, oh, she must be normal. But as soon as I told her my name, she kind of got cold on me.
0: You know, I was going to ask you about that. We didn't get into it as much uh, last week. But your name is spelled very closely or very similar to the famous Milwaukee cannibal serial killer Jeffrey Dahmer with an H. Yeah. I'm just wondering how, if that's presented... Can you not put the L in his name? Dahmer.
1: You kind of put the L in his name, and this is the thing I've been fighting my entire life.
0: How would you pronounce his name? Dahmer. That's sort of Milwaukee. It sounds like Wisconsin. Well,
1: it's an H. It's, It's Jeffrey Dahmer.
0: Dahmer. Dahmer.
1: Mine is Jeffrey Dahmer. It's completely different. I don't know why people don't understand this.
0: You know, it's spelled... A teeny bit differently and it sounds very similar so what what kind of issues is that presented in your life
1: you know just you know everyone when they're a kid has uh you know issues with like uh, teachers calling your name or like you know kids can be cruel but i've tried to date and you know people are turned off as soon as they see my name because most people just see Dahmer and they think oh my god it's the guy who killed people and i'm like that's one, a different last name, and two, a completely different person. Do you do you have any idea what it's like to live your life in some other person who wasn't even alive during, when you were alive?
0: Do you think psychologically it's had an effect on who you became as an adult? I mean,
1: my therapist thinks so. How so? Well, uh, when I was a kid,
0: uh, I went through a
1: couple of different
0: pets. When you say went through pets, do you just mean that they died a natural death? Yeah, they they died naturally after I
1: had a talk with them. I remember I had a cat that would argue with me. Um, I had a parrot that would um, just always had to have the last word, and I didn't like that. And I had a uh, a husky that would always howl at the moon. And um, yeah, you know, I, I, I try and sleep at night, so when the dog kept doing that, and I was not getting a, a lot of sleep, so the the dog passed away from um, not getting enough air to its wind. To swim Yeah, actually, we don't. We don't have to talk about that too much. I don't think. But just the the, the pets have passed away from natural causes, um, and so yeah, it's had a. It's I've had a lot of things. I think psychologically, just kids used to call me. Um, they at lunchtime, I'd sit alone, and people would throw stuff at me, or like someone would like <sighs> draw a picture of ribs and say, "Don't these look tasty?" And I'm like, <sighs> I. Actually, they do because they're actually pig ribs, so that does look tissy, But then they they'd write like, "Oh no, these are human ribs," and I'm like, "I'm not that person. I'm not a cannibal. I'm just a kid."
0: Was was it a problem when you applied for your job at Hollywood Video? No, they kind of preferred that
1: I'd be, I be have a weird name. They like that. Um, they said that uh, that would help sell um, videos. Um, you got to understand, it's the last Hollywood Video that's in existence and they don't get talked about. People only talk about the last blockbuster and they don't talk about the last Hollywood video. So when I came in, they're like, is your name really Jeffrey Dahmer? And I said, it's different. And they go, no, we know, but it's close enough to draw people in. So for the first month that I worked there, they actually had my picture in the window that said Jeffrey Dahmer works here. And people would come in and say, Oh my God, you're Jeffrey Domer. And I said, well, yeah, but it's not the guy. And they said, whoa, I thought, I thought they caught you. And I'm like, geez, it's high school all over again.
0: It sounds like the recent, when you met this woman who came in recently, Yeah, you thought she was normal. Like, it sounds like it might have been the perfect situation because she came in to meet kind of a celebrity. And yet she was kind of turned off. Oh,
1: oh no, she didn't come in to meet me. She came in to actually rent a video. I just she didn't ask for uh, one of the videos in the back, if you know what I mean. She was actually looking for a normal video. She was she came in to rent. Along came Polly. and I thought anyone who likes Ben Stiller and Jennifer Aniston's got to be pretty okay. And so I, uh, you know, you you miss one hundred percent of the free throws you don't take. Um, so I, um, I asked her if she liked it coffee and then she, she saw my name tag and uh that was the end of that
0: your name tag has your full name
1: yeah i'm and i brought that up i said why are we putting our full names on a, on the name tags can i just go by jeffrey in the store and they said well everyone else can put their first name but you have a famous name so put your full name and i again stress to management it's not a famous name at all i'm i'm the only dolmer who's ever actually had a stable job, who graduated college. Like you're thinking of Dahmer. Right. It's different.
0: Well hopefully you get more chances.
1: Well I won't have any more chances with her because she's uh, I don't I don't think she's gonna be coming back into the store anytime soon.
0: No, it doesn't sound like it.
1: No, I know for a fact she won't be
0: Unfortunately this week's guest who we had scheduled Nellie Ohio based storage systems designer Giles mm-hmm. Forncate was unable to make it today. Earlier this week, he bid on an extremely rare Buck Taylor doll, the serial killer played by Judd Nelson in Relentless. Giles emailed yesterday to let our producers know that the eBay auction was set to start at the same time of our taping session today. And so he was going to have to be monitoring that auction. So we'll try and get Giles on the show another time, but we were, really lucky to set up an interview at the last minute with a friend of the show joining us from his home in upstate new york dan hammer is with us again dan welcome back to optophobia
2: hey guys thanks uh thank you so much for having me back i had nothing else going
0: on so i, I was wide open to do this well it's we really appreciate you taking the time I'm wondering if you can maybe just remind our listeners and uh, anybody who's new to the show, what you do in in upstate New York. Sure. Yeah. You know, I I do this a lot. I I slate for the camera. So this is what
2: it feels like. Uh, My name is Dan Hammer, currently not represented by anyone. Five foot seven male from upstate New York. Actor, director, producer, writer and friend. Dan Hammer.
0: So the last time we talked, you were hoping to get some acting work. Uh, it sounds like maybe it has been successful uh, over the last year since we talked. It sounds like you're doing a bunch of things, a lot of projects.
2: Well, you know, it, it, it was a lot of me creating my own spaces, my own work. And surprisingly enough, somehow that dried up. You know, sometimes it's like you go to the well too many times and it's like, oh, I'm a lot of ideas. and so Now I'm really out of work you know the business put me out of work and then i feel like i put myself out of work so you know for a while i was feeling pretty uninspired and you know i didn't really have too much going on um other than some late night stuff i had to work on so you know i was just kind of going around movie stores and stuff like that Checking out movies, seeing what what's going on.
1: You have movie stores in Upstate New York.
2: Oh, there are so many movie stores.
1: Oh wow, there's
0: a lot. When you say movie stores, do you mean the video stores like Hollywood Video, or do you?
2: Yeah, it's it's slightly different. It's you go to a movie store and they tell you what movies there are out there. Now you can't actually rent any movies there; they don't have any DVDs or anything like that. So they just they say like, "Hey, you could go see this movie," and I say, "Okay, that sounds great." And they said, "Okay, go home." And then you can get online somewhere and you can like buy it or download it or something like that, and then you can watch it. And then you pay them, you
1: know, whatever it is,
2: like fifteen bucks or whatever for that kind of service.
1: That seems like a crazy business model. People have to come to the brick and mortar just so you can tell them go back home and look it up online to find it.
2: I mean, I can't think of another way that I would know what movies are out there or be able to make it a decision what movies I was gonna watch
1: without that. I don't know, Dan, do you have a phone? <laughs>
2: do I have a phone? No, I do not have a phone. That's the first way people can listen to you. They literally can listen to you. They hear your voice come through. And I'm not letting anyone listen
0: to me, especially the government or people I know.
1: Oh, okay. That's why you're one of those people. That's
0: right. Dan, when you were here last, we also discussed what may have happened to your former fiance, Tracy. Mm -hmm. Maybe you can remind people of that and tell us if there's any updates about... What happened to her, Where her whereabouts? Well, first of all, I want to say R.I.P.,
2: but she is still missing.
1: Why would you start with that, then?
2: What's that now? Why would you start with R.I.P. if she's just missing still? You know, I feel like it's just a nice thing to say when, you
1: know... When someone's missing?
2: Yeah, when there's someone that you love and you don't know what's happened to them or something terrible may have happened, you say, you know, R.I.P. Okay. They're still missing. Who knows what happened to them? But, yeah, I'm still searching around, you know checking around looking at other cars and stuff like that, you know, knocking on doors saying, "Have you seen this person and putting up some posters and stuff like that but to be honest, I don't really have any leads at this point, the police uh, to be honest, they will not stop calling me and I don't have a phone. <laughs> so it, I mean it really is it's a new level of harassment because they feel like they have some what they say leads on the case. And I don't know, I don't really understand where they're getting these leads from or why they think that I'm involved in some way, but they might <laughs> tell you what they, they, or, or it how
0: they got, or how they got your phone number. If you don't have a phone.
2: Yeah. So here's what I think, you know, they, when they were taking the details down, I kept telling them I'm like, I don't have a phone number. You're going to have to come to my house. And they're like, where's your house? I'm like, I move a lot. Who cares? And then I realized that when I was putting up posters for my missing wife, I put my phone number on it, which was a mistake. Oh, yeah. And it says, please only call me if you have leads on this missing woman. So I guess technically they are following the rules, but I really feel like they're abusing their power here by calling me so often and saying, where were you on this night? What were you doing with that shovel? Yada, yada, yada that
1: kind of stuff. Dan, I mean, I don't know how many like crime movies or horror movies you've seen, but like in in real life, ninety eight percent of the time, if a significant other goes missing, it's their spouse.
2: Yeah, ninety eight percent. So,
1: are you saying you're you're you should be included in the two percent?
2: I am part of the two percent. That's without a doubt, without a doubt. And I don't know where you're getting your facts from. Are you? Well, I'm just getting
1: FBI statistics. FBI
2: statistics.
1: Yeah, I I read FBI statistics during my lunch break.
2: Where do you get those statistics?
1: Well, Dan, I have a smartphone, so I can just Google it. Yeah.
2: No thank you. I don't need my phones to be any smarter than they already are.
0: Let's take a quick break and we will be right back with our guest this, this week, Dan Hammer. <laughs> <laughs> hey Optophobes. Last week we told you about our new venture here at Blend Venom Solutions, Meat Pops. If you're a regular listener, you may have noticed that we didn't have any sponsors during Season 3, Kofefi 19. That's because we were dealing with some lawsuits, some fines, and a tiny bit of prison time. You'll remember that at the end of Season 2, Deep State, we had to shut down our line of venom-infused balms, tinctures, salves, unctions, and eyewashes. That's because some agents from the Environmental Protection Agency came down to visit us at the Polyps at Jonathan Winter's Elder Care Community in Shalimar County, Florida, where Blend Venom Solutions is headquartered. The agents were bugged by a couple things. One, that we were infusing beauty care products with snake venom and marketing them as solutions to soothe people's biggest anxieties and eliminate their fears. The EPA agents were also a little put off that we were testing our products on the residents of the polyps at Jonathan Winter's elder care community. At the same time, some of the retired attorneys at the polyps at Jonathan Winter's elder care community were helping us fight a class action lawsuit claiming Blend Venom Solutions, quote, traffics in substances dangerous to living organisms when applied internally or externally that destroy the action of vital functions. And prevent the continuance of life. End quote. After all that, we still had a bunch of venom lying around, mostly from our acquisition of venom ointment competitors, Fang Juice Corp and the Slitherspit Fund. So we thought, rather than balms, tinctures, salves, unctions, and eyewashes, why not soda? It seemed so obvious. And then Reg McCurdle a retired butcher living at the polyps at Jonathan Winter's elder care community, suggested we combine the flavors of lunch meats and sugary soda in one can. And then add venom. Brilliant. So at lunch tomorrow, why not crack open a refreshing cherry olive loaf fizz? Blend Venom Solutions. We take away your thirst using snakes. Hey, everybody. We are back with our guest, Dan Hammer. Dan, I wanted to ask you, I mean, one of the reasons we we wanted to have you on again was because of your uh, relationship to this movie, the story behind Relentless. So I wondered if maybe you could talk a little bit about that history that you have. Sure. Yeah. So on one of my many trips
2: up to the movie store to figure out what movie I should be buying online, you know, a suggestion was made. Uh, I think I was supposed to actually, we settled on Sleepless in Seattle. And somehow, and this happens a lot, you, you settle on a movie and then you go home and then you accidentally get the wrong one, which means you actually have to pay them double. You got to go back and tell them, I actually got this movie. Anyway, that was the whole thing. I was supposed to do Sleepless in Seattle and I did Relentless instead. And I launched that movie and I was like, you got to be kidding me. I mean, I understand that this this came out, you know, I was pretty young at the time. But I watched this and I said, What a meaty pot that someone like me could really sink his very sharp fingernails into and get around and eat. And then they give it they give it to, you know, whatever, Judd Apatow or whatever, and he's up there messing up. Like he's he doesn't know anything about what it's like to be that kind of person.
0: What was it about the part itself that you thought that you could really grab onto? What what spoke to you about that role?
2: You know, how he interacted with people, how he treated people, just, uh, you know, I, I, this is hard. You guys aren't in the business, so you don't really understand what it's like. I mean, I'm
1: kind of in the business.
2: Oh, that's true. The movie store business?
1: Yeah, I'm in that business for sure.
2: So maybe you understand what I mean when it's like you watch a movie and you're like, oh, this is exactly what I do. This is who I am. I could jump in and do this, you know, and judge Judy isn't even doing as good a job as
0: someone like me could do. Jeffrey, I'm wondering from your perspective of having watched relentless a bunch of times, what if you, if you could like sum up what Dan is talking about in terms of that role of Buck Taylor specifically, I feel like
1: Buck Judd Nelson, I don't know. He, he doesn't really fit my, what I would say is a leading actor role for this movie. You want someone who, who, when you leave the movie theater, you're trying to be that person, you know? I felt like after watching this movie, he was the last person I wanted to be. Have you seen the Avengers movie? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when I left that, I was like, man, I wish I could be Thanos and snap my fingers and get rid of a bunch of people. No trace, just vanish. But when I watch uh, Judd Nelson do his, um, you know, his thing here as Buck Taylor, I just. I don't know, it left me wanting more. I kind of kinda wish there was a sequel, and there is, and I watched that too, and then I was kind of like, well, maybe there should be a third movie to try and get this right, and then they did make a third movie, and I was like, well, after three, you don't get it right. I mean, you should just hang it up.
0: It sounds like you're agreeing with Dan in a way that that role wasn't suited for that actor, but that an actor like Dan, who really feels something for that character, might have been a better. I
1: could have done it. What you need is someone who's... who's um Who's put the pets to bed, if you know what I mean. You need someone who's um, broken off a relationship for good, if you understand what I'm saying. You need someone who uh, can understand what it means to cut ties, burn bridges. And if you haven't done it, then you're trying to pretend like you've done it. And to those of us who've actually done it, it doesn't come off very authentic on the screen.
0: When When you say done it, what are you talking about?
1: Uh, you know, just um, you know, if you're a person who's around death a lot, then uh, when you see other people trying to act like they're either around death or experiencing death or in some cases giving death, you can tell if it's real or not. And uh, Buck Taylor didn't didn't sell
0: me. Dan, the main thing that we're looking at uh, this season is how the director of Relentless, William Lustig, planted subliminal messages throughout the movie in order to spark this kind of mass murder. Uh, And I'm wondering if when you were watching it, you felt any impulses or itches to hurt anybody, kill anyone? I don't really feel like I
2: felt too much different than I normally do all the time. It didn't really change any kind of feelings that I've always had deep inside me that can come up sometimes. It did, however, you know, I was talking earlier about how it's like as an artist, sometimes you're not inspired. Sometimes you lose your creativity. You know, it kind of sparked some some creative juices in me a little bit. It got me going again because I was like, this isn't right. You know, the director really, he messed this one up. He missed a trick. You should have used a guy like me. And so all of a sudden the wheels start turning and I start coming up with ideas. And I say, you know what's big right now? Remakes. People
0: love them. Huh. So are you thinking about trying to remake Relentless?
2: I am definitely thinking about doing that. Um, I've already kind of gone through and I, you know, I watched the movie a million times. The only way I know how to transcribe the script. I got the script written out. The really only one hiccup that I have right now is the director has some issues with me and so legally I can't really do anything.
1: What are the issues?
2: I mean, they're just like small legal things, you know. You know how it is in the business. You work in the business like it's like, you know, if you want to set up a movie, you know, it, it's you got all these like hoops you got to jump through. It's like first the director is like, you know, you can't do this. This is my movie. Then the director is like, please. Stop, you know, waiting outside my house and asking me, you know, direct questions and, you know, threatening my family. And then the director is like, you know, if you leave your house or come, you know, outside the state that you currently live in, then you'll go to jail or whatever. So, I mean, just like normal stuff that everyone goes. through
1: That's how they made Raging Bull. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
2: How
0: did they do it? They just
1: hounded the director, Scorsese, right? Uh-huh. Threatened his family. Uh, Bobby De Niro said, uh, you're going to put me in this movie. You're going to make me look great, and you're going to shoot it all in black and white. And Scorsese said, I'd prefer to shoot it in uh, color. And he said, no, black and white.
0: So that's the model you're following, Dan?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's – I mean, that's that's an obvious case. There's like a million of them of, of what you got to do to get a movie made. And um, like I said, a lot of it revolves around legal problems, you know, not just – directors but you know producers actors you know friends and family that kind of stuff that you got to make sure you you know cross all your t's and dot all your i's before you can
1: actually get through and girlfriends fiancés,
0: oh yeah i mean the list just keeps animals yeah how would you go about financing a film like this
1: at
2: the moment i am having trouble with that because you need a lot of money to make a movie especially if you're going to write and direct and start it. A- well
1: wow. Technically, you don't need any money. You just need someone with a lot of money who wants to back your movie.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You need you need at least like one, you know, big pockets individual to come in and say like, okay, yeah, now your salary is three million dollars. And I also have to pay you for, you know, the 17 other positions that you're going to be doing because I'm going to run the camera, too, of course. And you know that money—that's just not cheap. You got to find the right kind of investors for something like that.
1: Spielberg had no money when he did ET in 1982. He just asked for money from uh, his grandma, and she had a dowry, and she just gave him all the money he needed.
2: Yeah, it's
1: funny you bring that up. Why is that funny? That wasn't
2: a joke. I mean, no, it's—I mean, just it's just kind of ironic because you know the one person that I know that has money is my mom, and you know, coincidentally. I did ask her for the money. What'd she say? I don't remember all the specifics of the conversation, but I don't know, something about how, you know, lack of talent or something like that, or delusional and all these kinds of stuff. I mean, it's just, you know, a repeat of the kinds of conversations we normally have. You know, I don't really remember exactly how the conversation ended, but it felt like maybe, you know, based off of where we left off, it wouldn't be possible for her. To get me the money,
0: <laughs> Dan. You mentioned before that you had transcribed the movie in order to get the script. So that sounds like what you would be making is a literal, like word by word remake of the first Relentless, reimagining, a reimagining of of Relentless. I'm wondering if you would, if it were up to you, and you did get the rights, uh, if you would include all of the subliminal messaging that William Lustig included and that is what's controversial because he was clearly trying to spark some kind of mass murder. So that is something that I was considering cuz you
2: know you want to stay true to the original, you know, piece even if you think it's a piece of garbage. And in my case, I was like, okay, so there's got to be some kind of subliminal messaging in there. And so I was thinking maybe some of my own original songs can be the score underneath. And within that, there'll be some kind of messaging, you know, a lot of stuff on the lines of like, you know, put me in your movie, help get me out of here, pay for my legal fees, things I feel like should be in there that should get out to a wider audience.
0: And that was one thing that came from your first. Optophobia appearance that got the most Feedback from our listeners was how Beautiful your singing voice was So that makes sense I think that you would Try to score the movie or Contribute your own songs to the movie Because clearly you have a talent Thank you Thank have you. Have
1: you spoken to your mom since you guys had that argument
2: Um not really It ended kind of abruptly And I don't think I will be Speaking with her
1: anymore Oh wow you're going to cut off communication with your mom?
2: I think in a way it's already cut off. I don't think she's going to be communicating with anyone. So I think, yeah, I think in a way it's, you know, it's it's done.
1: Yeah. My therapist said it's actually a pretty bad thing for me that I haven't had a, a good childhood growing up with my mom because of uh, the Munchausen syndrome. And um, it's kind of led me down a path, she said. Your mom said that? No, no, my therapist. My therapist is not my mom, Herb, okay? I'm not going to entertain those jokes anymore.
2: I was going to say, it's good to clarify that, though, because sometimes it can be confusing. I've been told. I'm not allowed in therapy offices.
1: My mom is not my therapist. My therapist does think that my fractured relationship with my mom has kind of shaped my personality. <sighs> not for the better. So if you have the opportunity, Dan Hammer, I'd say reconcile things with your mother. Um, I mean, I'll do the best I can. Don't. Do the best you can do it. Trust me, it'll be for the better.
2: You know, I think what will make me feel better is if that money does somehow come my way very soon. You know, I feel like if I get that. That'll, you know, put a spring in my step. And then all of a sudden it's like I kind of, you know, the wheels are going. I'm getting my movie going. And then I can feel like a sense of forgiveness because I feel like at that point, if the money is there then I will feel like my mom helped me in some way, even if she.
1: Yeah. Would. If she sent the money, she like you guys might not be talking, but she still supports you. Yeah,
2: if she sent the money or if the money got to me some other way, yeah, whatever it is, I think I would be in a better place.
0: Yeah, I think so. Jeffrey, I have a question for you. What Knowing the retail market the way you do for movies, Yeah, uh, I wonder what you would tell Dan about the promise of a remake of Relentless in terms of sales.
1: Yeah, uh, so... One of the big rules when you're doing a remake of a movie or reimagination is uh, it still has to feel like the original. So you can't stray from that formula, even if it kind of feels like creatively you're being put in a box. Um, you have to still stay pretty close to that formula because people are going to the theaters or they'll be watching your movie digitally now, but they'll be wanting that original formula. So if you change it up too much, people will revolt against you.
2: Okay yeah that's some good advice I mean I, I listen i'm I'm not gonna stray too much from the piece that's already there. I think I'm just gonna add some specifics you know personal knowledge on some of the things that happened there so it's like
1: feels more real
2: I, I might even shoot it around my my house. don't do that yeah you know, just some on location shooting
1: don't do that you you gotta shoot it in l a okay is these are two Los Angeles police detectives, so you gotta. Come to L.A., shoot in L.A. People can tell if you're shooting it in upstate New York. I can't go to L.A.
2: I can't. I can't go there. Why not? Somehow the cops, and I don't know how this happened, but it seems like they've they've implanted something. That's what I think. They've implanted something on me. So the second that I leave my house, there does seem to be a lot all around me, asking me questions. Where's this person? Where's your mom? That kind of stuff. And it's just like, no they just won't leave me alone. There's no way I could go over to LA and you know shoot a movie the way I want to shoot it. So that's why it's all going to be shot inside my house, specifically my room, and sometimes in my basement, my backyard.
1: Okay, well, just get ready. There's, you're going to have a lot of angry fans.
0: Dan, uh, we have to wrap it up, but I have one more question for you. I wondered if, you know how in some remakes, uh, they bring back the actors who were the main characters, but they put them in kind of supporting roles. I'm wondering if you would think about Hiring Judd Nelson as a cast member, even though you would be playing the main serial killer, if, if you would cast him as some kind of supporting role. That's a good idea. I wish I had thought about that. Like, I, I honestly,
2: I wish we had done this two days ago. Because I, at this point, he definitely can't be in the movie. Why not? He's just, there's no way he's ever going to be in a movie again. It's just not going to happen for him. In any movie? Yeah, any, well... Yeah, most movies, pretty much. Yeah, I mean... Really.
1: How do you know that he's not going to do any movies, and do you know his agent or something?
2: I have, from a reliable source, info that Mr. Judd Apatow is missing. So, Judd Nelson? Well, uh, well, him too, actually. You're right. Both of them are missing right now. Um, Completely unrelated. But, it, yeah, he's he's missing, so I don't think he'll be able to... I don't think he'll be able to make it to the movie because I think it was around the time that I watched the movie. A couple of days later, he went missing.
1: Jeez, Louise!
0: That's a shame because he could have been. It could have been fun to see him in a small role in the movie. Yeah, I mean, I wish I. That's a good idea. I
2: wish you know. I feel like I probably could have kept him around, got him around into my house to play that part. You know, eh, maybe what I'll do is since I'm going to play all the parts in the movie. um, I will play Judd Nelson doing a cameo of another character in my remake of the movie. I think that would be fun for the
0: audience. Oh, that's cool. Do you do a Judd Nelson impression? Oh, absolutely. Of course I do.
1: And Can we hear it?
2: Sure, sure. Do you have like a a line or something that you want me to say?
1: Sure, I'll give you a line from the movie. What are you doing, Buck?
2: Oh, oh, what are you doing, Buck?
1: No, that's... Okay, so what I did was a character talking to uh, Judd Nelson's character buck taylor okay so his response is whatever i damn well please that's the response buck says so i'll do it again
0: what are you doing buck
2: oh just whatever i damn well please
0: that is spot on thank you thank you that's amazing that's actually pretty good yeah you should do that that would be, that'd be pretty cool to see you doing judd nelson in the remake of relentless
2: thank you i think it is a good idea no matter what my
0: mom said Okay, well, we are going to have to leave it there for now. I want to thank our guest this week, Dan Hammer. Thank you, Dan, for coming back to Optophobia. It was a great, uh, it was great talking to you again.
2: Of course, thank you so much for having me
0: and my co-host Jeffrey Dahmer. Great to see you again, Jeff.
1: Yeah, it was uh, it was good to see you too.
0: Please join us next week when our guest will be Regina Jerp, a herring farmer from Calypso, North Carolina who worked in craft services on The Relentless set and says that director William Lustig demanded that walrus blood be available to any cast or crew member who needed refreshment. Thank you for listening to Optophobia. I am Herb Tarlek, and I'll leave you with this. Remember to always open the jar before spreading the jelly. If you've got a connection to Relentless, we'd like to hear it. You can find us on our website, optophobia.org, or on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at at optophobes. And please subscribe and rate the show if you like it. Thank you to Reeves McElveen, who played Dan Hammer. Reeves performs with his improv teams Nixon and Colossus at various improv theaters in Washington, D.C. Thank you to Jamal Newman, who played Jeffrey Dahmer. Jamal performs with Lena Dunham, a Washington Improv Theater house ensemble, and Nixon. You can follow him on Instagram and Twitter at at, hellonewman, and find him at jamalnewman.com. Optophobia was produced by Tim Townsend. Music was composed by Bart Warshaw. Cover art by Claire Smalley. Additional website art by Nicole Bennett. Website by Chance Griffin. Thanks for listening. Until next week, keep them open.